Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. Hey, thank you, Steve. Uh, this is Ted Hart, and I'm the nonprofit coach, and we are here live from the nation's capital. Today is Tuesday, November 9th, and as always, we start with page one news. <laughs> a great show for you here today on the Nonprofit Coach. Don't forget that as we get to page two, you can call in and ask questions of our page two experts today at 347-324-3080. You also can jump into the chat room, and we are live in the chat room right now. I can see folks arriving there and ask questions, or if you're really shy, you can also email me at tedhart.com at tedhart.com. Now, first up here on the uh, news here on page one, uh, you'll find this over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com, and that is nine things funders want from fundraisers in a grant application. As we uh, enter here into the holiday giving season and we're all thinking about making those budgets, no doubt there are a number of organizations listening to this show who are right now working on grant applications to foundations and corporations. I find this article from Fundraising Success written by Joe Boland uh, to be very helpful. And here's just a couple of those uh, tips. And again, you can find the link over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. And I think this is very solid uh, advice and some things that are often overlooked in writing your uh, grant application. First of all, don't rely on just one funder. It is much more impressive to a funder when you're writing a grant application that you are looking at multiple funders and that you're pulling people together, that you're not asking that foundation or that corporation to give all the money for a project. It's also very important that you think beyond uh, just that grant and be able to share if they invest in you. And you have to think about these uh, grants as investments. I often uh, suggest my clients think of foundation uh, and uh, corporate support uh, from foundations as sort of that entrepreneurial seed money, uh, but is now often meant to be operating funds. And what a lot of funders are looking for are what will you do when that grant fund w- runs out? Are you always going to be coming back to them? Are they the sole funder? Or is this something that they're starting something great happening, something that's either going to pay for itself or that other funders are very likely uh, to step up? And I, I think that uh, Mr. Bowen gives some very good advice in all nine uh, of the sections of his, uh, uh, of his article here, but uh, one of them I think is very good and so often overlooked, and that is make sure your math is accurate. Uh, The budget needs to be reflective of the proposal. Make sure that you are 
thinking through and and don't be skimpy in your budget because keep in mind that those who are likely to fund you, foundations and corporations, have given elsewhere. They get it. They understand it. And when they see a budget that just doesn't look like it's going to work, they may fund you just because they don't. They may not fund you uh, because they just think that you're not realistic in the way that you're programming. So make sure that you've got a uh, a complete proposal. I also remind you to make sure that you're covering your operating costs. Again, funders understand this and are going to be looking for what kind of programmer are you and are you thinking of all of the contingencies. Okay, uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, here on page one, back over in the radio links, you will find uh, our next uh, uh, link here. And this is some very good information that's coming to us from fundraising and philanthropy. Uh, and this is a new study that was just done that, quite honestly, I find kind of interesting because the President Chief Executive Officer of Dunham & Company uh, is, uh, is interviewed as, as part of this particular article and part of this, uh, this study. And he says in here that not only is offline communication important to driving online giving, it's important, much more uh, important as a catalyst to generating uh, online gifts. And he says that this is surprising. Well, it's not surprising to anybody who is a listener, a regular listener here uh, to the nonprofit coach here at tedhartradio.com. And the reason for that is that we've been telling you this from the beginning of this show, and that is, it is the integration of online and offline. Your success is not going to come simply because you have a Donate Now button. It's not going to be simply because you send emails, but because you are integrating online and offline. What this particular study shows is that more than twice as many donors say that they give an online gift in response to a direct mail compared to simply responding to an e-appeal. Uh, and this is so very important that we understand this. This is something that we've been sharing with you here, as I said, from the beginning of our radio show. Uh, also in this article, you'll find a little bit more information. I like that, that we're starting to really hone in on who are these online donors. Uh, and 50% of the donors in this particular study are Gen Y, which is up to age 26, and Gen X up to age 47. And so that, that 27 to 47 is an important giving uh, category. And 26% of the online donors are the baby boomers uh, who are age 47 uh, to 65. Baby boomers are now uh, entering into retirement age uh, in the next year. So read all about that over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. Just a reminder that we've got a terrific uh, page two for you today. We've got Anna Yeager and Jim Lynch. Uh, these are the uh, uh, founders and co-directors of Green Tech Initiative at TechSoup Global. I can't wait to get a chance to chat with these folks today, and you'll be able to as well uh, by calling in at 347-324-3080. And next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach uh, is a good friend of ours here on the, uh, uh, the Nonprofit Coach. I'm very, very happy uh, to welcome back here uh, to the Nonprofit uh, uh, Coach. Uh, and uh, 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 this is an opportunity for us to actually share some news. And welcome to the show, Nancy Schwartz. Nancy Schwartz of gettingattention.org. Nancy, are you with us? I am, Ted, and thanks so much. Very pleased to be back with you. Yeah, Nancy, it's always great to have you here on the show. And, of course, today uh, you've got the opportunity to share with us some great news. You have just announced the winners of the 2010 Taggy Awards. Now, for folks who might be new listeners to the Nonprofit Coach, first of all, tell us what are the taggies, and then give us some of the good news about who the winners are and what some of those great taglines are. Would love to do that, Ted. Well, the Taggies are an annual, and this is the third year of the program, award program for nonprofit taglines. And this year, Ted, for the first time, voters selected program, fundraising, and special event tagline award winners in addition to the strongest organizational taglines. We were really thrilled to be adding these three additional types of taglines to the award program because we just felt it gave more organizations a chance to showcase their best efforts to engage their target audiences. 
They're thrilled about now, that. Now, Nancy, we have over in the radio links uh, today at tedhartradio.com, we do have a link uh, to your website where folks can learn not only about the taggies but also how your organization helps with effective marketing. Uh, give us the good news about who some of the more impressive uh, winners are. I know that you've uh, honored 17 nonprofits, and unfortunately we're here on page one, so we don't have time to read all 17 will direct our listeners uh, over to the radio links at tedhartradio.com. But who are some of the ones that maybe stood out for you in the winners of this year? Would love to share that with you. One of the taglines that stood out, not and less importantly to me, Ted, but to our voters, and there were over 6,100 voters, mostly nonprofit professionals, was a fundraising campaign tagline from the Oregon Zoo Foundation, Bring Back the Roar. This tagline led a capital campaign to fund the lion's return to the zoo after a 10-year absence and really works because it plants a very strong visual seed in one's mind. You can hear and see that lion roaring. The tagline is fun, short, emotional, and unique with a very clear call to action, which is an absolute must. That's really one of, one of the strongest among the winners. Had. Nancy, what, what 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 is maybe the one thing that that uh, that that your voters or or uh, you as the the host of the taggies uh, really sees as uh, a a commonality to the winners? Is is it is it cleverness? Is it directness? Is it simplicity? What what sort of uh, really strikes you as as a guiding force and who wins? I'd say that the winners share the characteristics, Ted, of being easily, easy to remember and so easy to repeat. And that is you don't remember anything unless it's unique, so that's implicit in their being memorable. And the fact that they're easy to repeat just extends the base of messengers that all of these winning organizations have. Easy to remember that's true. and repeat. That that's that's great, Nancy. I don't want to put you on the spot just in case you don't have the the whole list in uh, in front of you here. But but I did take particular interest, and I was wondering um, one of the good friends of this show, uh, and and actually has been a page two expert on the show is. Steve Culbertson uh, over at Youth Service America. Uh, my understanding is that uh, they won a taggy this year. What what did they win for? They sure did, and they won in one of the new uh, type categories, uh, and that is for a program tagline. They have a very interesting program for college students called the Semester of Service, and their tagline, Service Semester Changed the World, won the award in the program tagline type category. YSA really works effectively to engage hearts and minds in its passionate focus on improving the world with this tagline. The tagline opens up really a whole world of possibilities to students and invites them to act. So it's really inspirational, provocative, and very visual as well. They do terrific well, Nancy, work. congratulations. And the, the third taggies this year. I can't let you go before you give us uh, a look ahead into the future. Uh, what's in store for the fourth annual taggies? Ted, I tell you, I wish I had that crystal ball polished up. But we're what we're doing right now, which is another first, is putting the finishing touches on a searchable database of all 4,800 taglines that have been entered over the three years of the Tagline Awards. And that's going to be made available along with the updated report at no charge to those who register for it in just a few weeks. And those who go to gettingattention.org can see where to do that. So focus well, more first on that. Oh. Yeah, well, Nancy, I hope that you'll come back here on the Nonprofit Coach when that database is ready uh, and make that formal announcement to our listeners. Uh, what about uh, nominations uh, for uh, next year's taggies? When does that start? When's the voting? Give, give us a little, little insight into that. Sure. The timeline goes like this. Um, June is when we start to 
Actually, folks, we don't have a formal nomination process, Ted. What we do is we invite folks to enter if they want to, and, you know, obviously membership associations and that type of thing to spread the word to their members, urging them to do so. Um, and that will start in June. The easiest way to make sure you receive notice of that is to subscribe to the Getting Attention e-newsletter or to down, uh, register for the report that both of those actions will get you on the list to be the first to know when the 2011 fourth annual nonprofit tagline awards program opens for business next June. Terrific, terrific. Well, Nancy, uh, thank you. And of course, our listeners can uh, register for uh, our newsletter at p2pfundraising.org, and that link is right there at tedhartradio.com, and we'll make sure that uh, we provide that information. And again, I hope you'll come on the show and let our listeners know when that database is ready. Uh, Nancy Schwartz, thank you again for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you, Ted. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is back to page one news, uh, and uh, I've got some a bit of a warning for you here. Uh, we don't often do this here on the Nonprofit Coach, but I, I do, in the abundance of caution, uh, need to bring to your attention a concern that was brought to our attention yesterday uh, by the good folks at WBUR.org uh, Radio in Boston, and that is uh, uh, a concern about some websites, and I don't want to pick on just one website, but I have uh, done some research here, and I do want to draw all of our charities' attention to websites like GoFundMe.com. Uh, now, GoFundMe.com, when I spoke to the president of that organization uh, yesterday, uh, uh, shared with me, uh, and, and yesterday I spoke with their president, Brad Damphouse, and their business model is a very good business model, and it's one that I'm very excited about because it follows our people-to-people -people concept, and that is if you go to GoFundMe.com, uh, folks can use this website to raise money for things that are important in their lives. This is where my concern comes in and where my caution for charities uh, comes in, and that is there are no safeguards on this website to ensure that if an individual uses this website that in fact money raised for charities will go for that purpose. For instance, if you go to their website, you will see uh, a gentleman who has sought to raise money and successfully raised over $1,000 for cancer research. Now, that money is to go to the American Institute for Cancer Research may have very well gone to, uh, to the American Institute for Cancer Research. There may be absolutely no problem. Let me make it very, very clear. I am not suggesting that this particular donor has done anything wrong. My concern about the website is, is that anyone who might use this, and maybe all of that money doesn't make it to the charity, two concerns. One is the charity didn't know that they were raising money for them. Second of all, there are no checks and balances to ensure that in this case $1,019 actually will go to American Institute for Cancer Research. So our recommendation to this group and others is to put in place safeguards that do ensure that when money is donated for charitable purposes, it does go for that purpose. So for our listeners today, my biggest piece of advice is to go to this website, uh, which is uh, GoFundMe.com, and search for your organization and just see if money is being raised in your name, because right now they do not have a process through which they would notify you that your name is being used or that money is being raised on your behalf. It is a concern that I have and one that I want uh, you to know that uh, your nonprofit coach has looked into this, has spoken to a principal from, from that group uh, and has shared my recommendation that they seek ways to make sure that there are safeguards for charitable dollars to go for the purpose in which it was given. So you can find that link over in the radio link. Again, I just want to say this is not a concern about the organization. I have no reason to believe that every dollar on the site is not going for the purpose in which it was given. My concern is that it would be all too easy for money to not go for the purpose it was given, and I think there should be safeguards. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, in our radio links, uh, you will find a really good test, 
finally, uh, as you know here on the Nonprofit Coach, one of the issues that we have raised on several occasions, and we had uh, uh, Jed Elpert on the, the show uh, uh, talking about uh, mobile giving. Uh, and text giving and the use of mobile technology, which will grow, needs to grow. The, the ability for charities to use mobile technology is so strong, yet the costs are too high, and right now the ability to accept gifts of anything more than 5 or $10 uh, at those low, uh, low costs that are provided through the Mobile Giving Foundation uh, are just too great. So here's a test that's going to be taking place. Two charities are testing $25 cell phone contributions. We applaud this. This is so important that we up the ability. Will donors give through mobile technology? Yes, um, they will when charities encourage them to do that. Well, our advice here on the Nonprofit Coach is still the same, and that is it does not serve the purpose of the average charity to be encouraging people to give 5 and $10 through mobile giving when, in fact, you want to build a relationship, enhance that relationship, and raise larger dollars over time. However, if this uh, test is successful and if we are able to convince the wireless carriers to drop those rates to make it cost effective to raise $25 or $50, now it becomes a serious contender for an annual giving strategy. So we'll, we will continue uh, to watch this here on the Nonprofit Coach. You can read this article that comes to us uh, in the Chronicle of Flansby. So we want to thank Nicole Wallace uh, for bringing this story forward. It's an important move, and again, you can read about it over in the radio links at Ted Hart Radio. Com. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, we have uh, uh, a, uh, a good friend of ours uh, coming on to uh, onto the show today uh, from the, uh, the good folks at the AFP Greater Toronto Chapter, uh, and I believe we have Tanya Little here uh, from uh, Toronto. Tanya, you here on the Nonprofit Coach? I am, Ted. Hello. Tanya, it is great to have you here on the show. Of course, I am honored and pleased to have the opportunity to speak uh, at the AFP Greater Toronto Congress, uh, which will be taking place in Toronto. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm hoping that uh, uh, you can help our listeners understand why this is not only uh, an important uh, educational opportunity uh, in Canada, but also one of the largest educational opportunities in Canada. So I want you to tell us all about it, how folks can register, and we do have a link uh, to your registration page over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. So, Tanya, bring us up to date. What is new and exciting uh, about Congress 2010? Thank you so much, Ted. Um, being part of the Toronto chapter for as many years as I have been, it's always an exciting time uh, to participate in the fall in Congress 2010. Um, some of the things that we look to do this year that we think are unique and special is bring some of the kind of most key, most current hot topics um, that we see out in the sector right now. Um, our plenary sessions are being hosted by Wendy Mesley, which is a large Canadian broadcaster, um, and Dan Pallotta. And they're both going to really be addressing the issues of um, restraint on not-for-profit dollars and how they're spent, as well as the issue of trust and donor accountability, uh, which we are uh, living in Canada. It's a very different reality up here. We, we've been dealing with a lot of media and press um, around the charitable sector, so we really try to uh, put in place uh, an educational program that will really help practitioners and senior leaders in the sector understand these very complex issues and understand to, how to be able to react to them, how to be able to communicate with their donors, and how to be able to continue to build relationships and steward, don steward their donors so that they're not losing their donors during these kind of critical times. Well, Tanya, this is um, one of the largest, or is it the largest, educational opportunity for charities in, uh, in uh, Canada? I would probably say that Congress is definitely one of the larger uh, sessions. I'm not I wouldn't, I'm always hesitant to say it's the largest uh, because actually we don't strive to have it be the largest. Uh, we really believe it's about quality, and w one of the great things about uh, AFP Congress is that the speakers who come, the delegates who come, they feel that it's a pretty intimate and interactive kind of networking. So we're expecting a little over a thousand delegates this year, um, but that's about the right number for this conference. 
um, even with a thousand people there over three days, people still feel like they've really connected with their peers. They've had a good opportunity to connect with the speakers. Um, that the networking is really a high quality, high touch kind of an experience, and that's a really important component from our perspective. Well, it really is a terrific uh, educational opportunity. I've always appreciated uh, the opportunity to be there and to uh, participate as a speaker. Thank you for inviting me back again, and I want to encourage all of our listeners uh, to consider coming to Toronto. Uh, share with us the dates um, of, the, uh, of the Congress, uh, and again, we have a link for all of our listeners uh, over in the radio links today at tedhartradio.com so they can register. That's great, Ted. Thank you so much. So the conference will be happening from Tuesday, November 30th until Thursday, December 2nd at the Metro Toronto Convention Center in Toronto. Uh, and I did see that fabulous link um, on your radio site, so thank you so much for putting that on. Uh, we will very much look forward to having you be part of the over 80 sessions that we'll be offering in Toronto in November. And thank you again for having us. Well, it is great to have you here on the show to promote this very important educational opportunity. I look forward to seeing you in Toronto the end of this month uh, for Congress 2010. Again, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you, Ted. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Uh, next uh, up here on The Nonprofit Coach, uh, we are now ready for page two. <laughs> This is really an exciting day here on the Nonprofit Coach because we have the opportunity uh, to help charitable organizations uh, do two things, and that is uh, to focus on the uh, uh, profitable management of their organizations uh, by really focusing on saving money, uh, but at the same time, uh, we have the opportunity for our organizations who are listening today to learn how they can be more environmentally uh, sensitive for their organizations. I am thrilled to welcome here uh, on uh, the, the Nonprofit Coach today our two guest speakers, our, our page two experts today are Anna Yeager and Jim Lynch. Let me introduce Anna Yeager is the founder and co-director of Green Tech Initiative at the Nonprofit Tech Soup Global. Green Tech's mission is to help nonprofits and libraries reduce their environmental impact through the effective uh, use of technology. Jim Lynch is TechSoup's global co-director of the, tech, uh, the Green Tech program, along with Anna Yeager, and is also TechSoup's longtime director of computer recycling and reuse programs. So all of this dovetails into helping organizations do the right thing for their bottom line and do the right thing for the environment. Welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Anna Yeager and Jim Lynch. Thanks, Ted. We're glad to be here. Hi, Ted. Thanks uh, so much for having to, us on. Great uh, to have you uh, on the show. Let's start off with uh, if uh, one or both of you could just fill us in. Uh, and of course, we do have uh, a link over uh, on our radio show today at tedhartradio.com uh, uh, where folks can go directly to uh, the Green Tech program. But uh, uh, tell us what is Green Tech and why is that part of TechSoup? Hi, Ted. Um, Green Tech is part of TechSoup because, uh, well, tech, what TechSoup does is we help tech up the nonprofit sector around the world, uh, NGOs uh, around the world, nonprofits and libraries domestically. And uh, we looked at our services and we said, you know what, let's focus on one impact area uh, to really help our users who are often in small to medium-sized nonprofits and they're often accidental techies, those folks whose job it is, um, you know, to be the executive director or the marketing person. They're also the, uh, the technical person by default. We're trying to help them reduce the impact of their organization and of their technology um, through the effective use of technology. So we not only recommend set, doing things like setting power management to reduce the energy use of your computers, but we also can help provide tips and, and suggestions about how to reduce the uh, carbon footprint of your organization. For instance, using 
video conferencing instead of uh, traveling to, to have a meeting. So uh, TechSoup really wanted to focus in this one particular area, so that's, uh, that's where Jim and I come in. And we started it back in 2000, late 2007, 2008 to, uh, to really drive impact in this area. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're doing this. Of course, you folks uh, kicked that off right around the same time that we were launching the Green Nonprofits uh, organization, and our listeners can find that at greennonprofits.org. And it really seemed like a terrific uh, synergy. Uh, and, Jim, you folks are in 33 countries. How does this work in, in multiple cultures and with multiple governments? Is there a big difference or are there some commonalities that around the planet uh, Green Tech is involved with? Yeah, we're, uh, that's kind of the big news about TechSoup. Uh, during the past two years, we've been launching in almost a country a month. <laughs> so, you know, as you can imagine, they're, they're quite different, uh, all these different countries. One of the things we, we love to do is to provide very low-cost software to, to the nonprofits and NGOs around the world. And in addition to that, um, when there is – a nonprofit pro a product that we have, uh, like Microsoft Communicator, which is a green product, then uh, essentially we supply all these different groups if they want it, the information about why this is a green thing, what it, what it does to either save energy or save paper or save, uh, you know, save the amount of electricity that people use. And, and Ted, if I can and, jump in there... Oh, I one of the ways you asked how we how this works with the various governments, we actually uh, don't go in as a U.S. organization. We partner with a local organization who is familiar with the NGO sector in country, uh, and we work with them, pre-existing organizations, to understand the local culture and understand the local laws, uh, and they help pick and choose the the right products and the right content to get out to their communities. And of course, we've had uh, TechSoup on uh, the show before, and it's actually one of the most uh, favored uh, podcasts uh, that can uh, that can be found at tedhartradio.com. Uh, so we, we're very familiar with sort of the save money aspect, but can you focus in on some of the make it green aspects of what you offer and what our listeners might find uh, when they go to your website? Um, so it's maybe useful to tell people that we're at TechSoup.org slash GreenTech, and there's a bunch of stuff there. Uh, what, we, what we love to do is to suggest to people really easy, cheap, or free things that everybody can do to make a big impact. And uh, Anna mentioned um, setting, sleep settings on all your computers to reduce electricity. The, uh, the, the cost savings on that is $60 per year. It takes about a minute to do that on a computer. Um, it is, there's a how-to section on every conceivable operating system, like Windows or Linux or Mac, on a website called Climate Savers Computing Initiative. So that's one thing we feature. Um, and basically, setting sleep settings means that you... you uh, tell your computer to go ahead and go into sleep mode after about 15 minutes of non-use. So that's an example of another one of the simple, simple things that we recommend. Uh, another thing that we have on TechSoup, which is tied to one of our uh, donated products, is called MyFax. And that's, that's a great thing that lots of people don't know about. And MyFax is a way of, of saving paper. And it's an online fax service, and it costs $25 a year. And it's green because it means that you don't have to have a fax machine <laughs> or toner or ink. And that faxes arrive to you either online or through your email, and you can also send them out in a similar way that you would a regular fax machine. It's easy to use, and it's it's quite wonderful. We have we have a number of things on our website. Those are always 
very good solutions uh, for for charities, wouldn't you say? I mean, one of the things that, that we often find with a green nonprofit organization is that there's almost an assumption that's going to cost a lot of money to make the kind of changes that can uh, that can positively affect the environment. Uh, and what you're sharing here are simple day-to-day -day decisions that charities can make that add up not only at their organization for the bottom line, but across our sector if more organizations get involved. Absolutely. One of the things that we like to focus on, especially since our audience tends to be small and medium-sized nonprofits who don't have a lot of extra cash sitting around, we focus on reducing waste. So whether that's waste energy, waste paper, waste toner, uh, wasting computers. Uh, computers often can have a longer life than uh, most people think. Uh, so we really help people save money as well as save the environment, and those are the sorts of tips uh, and recommendations that we try to make here. That's great. Just a reminder to all of our listeners, you can call in and ask a question of our page two experts, Anna Yeager and Jim Lynch, uh, with the Green Tech Initiative at TechSoup by calling 347 324 3080. We're also live over in the chat room, and you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. We do have a, a few questions here over in the chat room, so I'm going to ask you folks uh, to just uh, 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 reflect on uh, some of the questions that are being asked. And, and I take in the, in the chat room, certainly you can write more if you want to uh, refine your question, is really the question that, that I'm taking from what's be being written in the, the chat room right now is, what is the difference between what uh, principal U.S. companies are doing, can do, should be doing uh, to support this effort with or without government push? Or do we need more of a government push before we can move to that next level? Do we need government support to push to the next level? Um, in green IT, um, I have to think about this. Um, yeah, I'm just we move a little bit closer to uh, your phone set or, or, or headset because uh, uh, folks are, are saying they're having trouble hearing you. Oh, okay. Yeah, let me let me speak up. Um, there is there is a, a great government program that is probably not very well known, um, which is called EPEAT. That's E P E A T. dot net, and that's a, that's a great thing that was initiated by the U.S. EPA. And what it does is it uh, rates all kinds of computers and monitors and soon to come other IT equipment on 48 different um, characteristics in terms of whether it saves energy, it's an energy saving device or it has fewer toxics than normal computer equipment. And that's kind of a great example how the government has become involved in, in green IT in particular. Is, 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 does it seem to you that, that that's enough, that the government's doing what it should do, um, or is, is the nonprofit or is the for-profit uh, sector doing enough? Is, is there enough of a partnership there? Do we need more government, less government? Uh, I, I take that that's maybe the question that's coming uh, from our chat room today. So uh, I, I think, as with most things, a combination of, of approaches is what's needed. We need people to make individual changes, um, but we also need them to pressure their government representatives to make some more uh, fundamental government changes. For instance, uh, you know, in the recycling and refurbishing world, a lot of the large uh, recyclers and refurbishers would love to have a, a federal policy um, on, on waste and how to deal with the e-waste. Uh, but right now what they're dealing with is uh, regulations and policies that are state by state. Uh, so in that arena, definitely we need some more government action there. The, um, as Jim was saying, EPEAT and the uh, production of electronics is an area where we could definitely use some more government um, action and policies and regulations. Um, and uh, and data centers as well. That's in data centers. That's where you usually hear about green tech and green IT, but that generally doesn't apply as much to the small to medium sized nonprofits. They don't have data centers. They might have, you know, they might borrow a server or rent a server in a data center. But um, 
I think I think we should see and will see in the not too distant future more government regulation in in the data center world. Um, but keep in mind that's a global thing. All of these big uh, providers of data centers, the Googles, Yahoo's, Microsoft, AOL, they have data centers around the world. So U.S. regulation is one thing, uh, but they're dealing with uh, government regulations around the world, and they also have to deal with uh, how they move and secure data in those different locations. Uh, so, I, But I do believe that there's a lot that individuals can do to spread the word and make change on their own. And part of it is staying in touch with organizations like Green Nonprofits, uh, .org, like the uh, Green Tech Initiative at TechSoup, uh, .org forward slash uh, Green Tech is a way to stay on top of of these issues. Uh, Anna and Jim, uh, hang tight there. We're just going to take a, uh, a little bit of a, a break here, and it's, a, it's an apropos uh, break and one that you, uh, you, you may like in, in terms of uh, what we're uh, sharing with our listeners here today, and you may want to comment it after the break. So we'll be right back here. Just going to take a little bit of a break. Google Docs lets you create, share, and collaborate on documents online. Instead of creating a document, sending it as an attachment, receiving multiple revisions, and then having to merge edits. With Google Docs, everyone works on the same version in real time. And Google Docs just got better with rebuilt editors for documents, spreadsheets, and drawings, designed to improve collaboration, increase speed, and create richer documents. Google Documents have much better import fidelity, making it easier to move your documents into the cloud. We've also added TabStop, a ruler to control margins in a document, and improved how images interact within documents. The comment system makes it easy to add, reply, and move comments around in a document. And collaboration now happens in real time. You can see what others are typing with no need to refresh the page or wait, reducing confusion and saving you time. We've also made some big improvements to Google Spreadsheets. Now you can edit a cell from the formula bar, use autofill, drag and drop columns, and navigate easily between sheets. Significant speed and performance improvements make spreadsheets load faster and scrolling seamless. And as always, real-time collaboration, chat, and cell presence work for many people at once. We've also added a standalone editor for drawings to Google Docs. It's easy to make charts, diagrams, and other schematics. As with Google Docs and spreadsheets, you can also chat while you collaborate on drawings. We hope these improvements to Google Docs help you and your teams be more productive. To try them out or to learn more, visit docs.google.com. Well, we're pleased to bring you uh, that, that little uh, service announcement from docs.google.com. Uh, and I do think that services like that not only uh, allow organizations to become more efficient and more effective, but also are very green in that you're able to move more online, print less, and, uh, and have to uh, uh, mail uh, uh, less documents out. Uh, those are the kinds of services that, that, uh, that you folks promote as well. Is that correct? Uh, we absolutely do. We just completed a cloud campaign this, this last month, uh, which talks about all kinds of different cloud services. And Google Docs is a great example of a cloud service. Um, you know, cloud is, is basically a term that's fairly recent. It only emerged in about 2007. It only means that you're essentially using the Internet as your hard drive and you're using services that are, are basically situated on the Internet. And Google Docs is a great example of that. And Gmail, and there are thousands of other ones. It's a green thing because they use uh, highly efficient data centers for most of the computing power and allow smaller companies and organizations to have less of a robust computer system. Yeah, the next question over in the chat room uh, may be uh, particularly uh, good for you, but Anna, definitely uh, I ju jump in here, and that is, how do you suggest that nonprofit organizations handle e-waste, uh, since many have older uh, ma machines, maybe even working with TechSoup to upgrade hardware and software? What do they do with the throwaways? Well, there is incredibly great uh, online listing 
at earth911.com where you can find uh, places that will take your computers, uh, your older computers that you Jim, want to get that, rid of. that website again? It's earth911.com. It's an Arizona-based place, and it's a free service, and you can put in your zip code, and it will tell you what, where you can take any of your e-waste, and that includes, oh, gosh, toner, that includes batteries, that includes almost everything, even compact fluorescent light bulbs. Uh, you can find a place near you. Um, there are various gradations of um, recyclers that are certified in the world. If you want to go as green as possible, there's a place called eStewards.org, which is an accreditation uh, organization which is run by a nonprofit called the Basel Action Network, and it's got the, the strongest accreditation of, of anywhere, and that's a, that's a great place to know about. And there's another accreditation organization that accredits computer recyclers as being reputable, and that's called R2, and you can find their listing of accredited um, recycling companies at r2solutions.org. And of course, that brings up a, an important issue here of of greenwashing, of things that look green but really aren't green. And can you share with our, our listeners today how they can protect themselves, what that means, and and how maybe the the green tech initiative is uh, a resource for them? Sure. We try to do uh, thorough research on all of the recommendations that we make and provide sources for our information. So if you're looking for uh, for information about a specific topic, check us out. Come search our website uh, and see if we have something. And we might, uh, and we probably point you to other resources. For instance, the statistic that Jim gave earlier about um, turning on power management to uh, can save you about sixty dollars a year. There are a, a number of different numbers. NRDC, the National Resources Defense Council, estimates uh, fifty dollars per computer per year. Climate Savers Computing has a number of $60 per year. Um, there are some others that go as high as $75. So um, do a little quick research um, for these for e-waste. Definitely look for um, uh, the uh, accreditations of the recycler or refurbisher. And just to differentiate between those, a refurbisher will take your working electronics clean them up, fix them up, and get them back out into the world so they have a longer lifespan, um, whereas a recycler will take it and break it down into its component parts and recycle whatever they can. So it's definitely, uh, we recommend refurbishing over recycling if at all possible. Um, there was a study uh, someone just released that said something like 95% of marketing claims about green um, are, are not fully supportable. So. Uh, if you're concerned about greenwashing, check it out. Look for uh, reputable sources of recommendations. Earth 9-11, the one that Jim just mentioned, is a good one. Uh, the Basel Action Network and eStewards, they're, they're fantastic. Uh, we, we really try to be uh, very stringent about the inf information we provide um, to nonprofits. And keep in mind, we are a nonprofit ourselves, so we're not making any uh, any money by recommending that you use Google Docs or something like that. Um, we're really just in it to try to help you find the best products and the best way to reduce your environmental impact. Well, it's a, a terrific set of uh, recommendations. And uh, uh, just for our listeners uh, today, our uh, crack team here uh, at the Nonprofit Coach, you will find over uh, in the radio links, you'll see that they've been updated today uh, to include uh, earth911.com. And you'll also find in there, and I do uh, want to draw attention to the Green Nonprofits dot org uh, organization and their certification program uh, to become a certified green nonprofit, which is certainly something that we recommend that all charities uh, consider as a way to signal to their donors and to their uh, communities that they are very serious about making changes in their business practices. And of course, part of that are all the things that green tech talks about uh, in terms of making changes about how we use technology, how we recycle technology, 
Archie and a lot of the issues that uh, that you have uh, raised today. What's the, the thing, um, uh, Anna, what's the thing that has changed most uh, in terms of your recommendation from when you started uh, the Green Tech Initiative to today? Cloud computing. Uh, when when we started, it really was a, a very fuzzy concept, not really on the radar, really mostly for larger organizations. But now cloud computing is really accessible to uh, almost any nonprofit. I know of, of one-person shops um, that, that use cloud offerings. When, I, when we talk about cloud, for the most part, we're talking about software as a service, using things like um, – uh, the Google offerings or, you know, Hotmail, um, now Office Live, uh, individuals, nonprofits can use uh, for free. So um, there are a lot more offerings out there that are introductory offerings. Uh, and then there are a lot of offerings out there that are, are much bigger. Uh, Microsoft Dynamics CRM, Salesforce, uh, that are online offerings that um, – that require a m much more startup, um, but for even a small shop, it's much better than trying to bring a server in house and get these things up and running. If you, especially if you don't have an IT department, and and uh, I think it was Tech Republic estimated that most servers, in house servers, uh, run at a utilization of about five percent. So you're really only you're sucking all the power out of the wall. To run your server, but you're only using 5% of it, uh, whereas the, the bigger data center guys, the software as a service guys, are running their servers much, they're utilizing about 50 to 70% of a server, and they do that by putting multiple tenants on it, multiple clients. So you and the nonprofit next door might be running on the same server, but you have no idea. That's transparent to you. Back to the greenwashing, another thing to watch out for, especially if you're doing cloud computing, is uh, security and compliance there. If you need to be HIPAA compliant or Sarbanes-Oxley compliant, look at your software as a service provider and ask them or, or see how they are certified and who certified them. Um, that's another way to protect yourself. Well, and that brings up a very important issue and, and an added benefit uh, to moving uh, to essentially online services uh, is the the security of computers in nonprofit offices, the, the data that's kept in nonprofit offices, either through you know, a, a tragic fire or something of that sort or theft, uh, that it is much more secure if you're thinking about security uh, by using these online services as well. Now, a, a question that comes up uh, here in uh, uh, in the chat room I, I find very interesting, and that is uh, some research is saying that a displayed page on a computer is not as good uh, for the ecology uh, as a, a printed page uh, on recycled uh, paper. And I suppose that's, that, that could possibly be true if you're saying you would be powering down that computer and not using that computer. But if it's an issue of a computer that would be on and you're pulling up a file as opposed to printing that out, uh, where does that research come in here? What, what's your thoughts on that? This is Jim Rich. Um, we've been sort of looking at that, and that's one of these kind of wild statistics that uh, is all over the place and is hugely debated. Uh, we actually can't get a, get a fix on it, whether that's accurate, whether these estimations are correct or incorrect, but we're working on it. You know, we're trying to find out what's going on there. Also, uh, yeah. folks need to keep in mind that, that toner is one of the most toxic and expensive substances out there. I mean, ounce per ounce, it's more expensive than many of the very expensive perfumes. So, um, and, and it's stuff that we don't think about in, in our offices. We just use it. Um, but, I mean, we are deforesting our, our planet uh, just to, for our paper consumption. We are killing ourselves uh, with exposure to toxic materials like, like ink. And, um, I, you know, I think this one is why that's so hotly debated is, it, it really depends how, you know, where is that hosted, where is that page hosted, and where are you getting your energy from? As we have more and more green energy available, uh, that, that carbon cost to display that page will go down. 
Right, and that and that's certainly something that that we encourage uh, charities to look at in in terms of whether or not they can contract for uh, wind energy or solar energy as a way to uh, even further the the uh, re reduction in the use of energy that we encourage them to use uh, within their office. Uh, just for our listeners, uh, a quick reminder that uh, uh, there is not a Nonprofit Coach radio show next week. We are on uh, hiatus uh, next week. We will be back. Uh, for our, uh, our next show on Monday, uh, November 22nd. We've moved to Monday of that week uh, to give a little bit of uh, space uh, between that and the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, and I'm very, very excited to uh, have on November 2nd, uh, Tom Ahern uh, will be our, our uh, page two expert on that day. So don't miss the opportunity uh, to join us for our next show on November uh, 22nd. Of course, you can get all that information over at tedhartradio.com. Uh, now, uh, Anna and uh, Jim, uh, as we uh, uh, look to uh, the end of the show here, uh, we've got just a, a few more minutes, and we do have a caller uh, for you. So, caller, you're here live on the Nonprofit Coach. Go ahead. Yeah, Ted, can you hear me? Uh, yes, you're live here on the Nonprofit Coach. Go ahead. You can ask a question okay. of Anna Yeager and Jim Lynch. Yeah, I was thinking that, um, you know, with uh, a lot of smaller and medium-sized nonprofits don't really have staff for technical things like computing, right? can they accept technical skills as an in-kind donation? Uh, could you say a little more about what what your question is? Well, could you explain there's, some, there's, so, there's, there's so many nonprofits that really don't have budgets for good technical people, and the cloud might be, you know, frankly, a little out of their reach. Can they have technical people who understand this contribute their services as an in-kind donation? Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. are we talking about volunteers or, or things of that sort where people can volunteer through the web? Well, it's not volunteering. It's actually an in-kind contribution of services at an at a, at a, a invoiceable value. But the thing of it is, is that the cloud's a little bit beyond most people's recognition. And then, Jim, do you have uh, any insight into that uh, attracting that kind of volunteer or how charities might uh, uh, might get uh, in-kind donations for these kinds of services? Well, we don't. Um, we started out doing that under our previous name called CompuMentor, and we we got out of that area because so many technical people are so busy and so fully occupied that it's very difficult to get people to do a project and finish a project like that. Um, I haven't looked recently on volunteermatch.org, but that's the place okay. I would look if you're looking for a technical volunteer who might provide you in a little bit of time. I think that it's best to utilize a technical volunteer uh, incrementally. For instance, ask them for an hour of their time rather than, you know, help me build a database, but a little bit of advice to get them interested in your project and moving with you and being interested in you is a, a, a kind really of moving a, forward on of activity could in, involve uh, you know, information that's available at the Green Tech Initiative, uh, working with organizations uh, such as green nonprofits, and as you suggested, uh, perhaps finding some virtual uh, volunteers or even some, some volunteers that might come into your office if you're concerned about uh, your budget and, uh, and your uh, ability uh, to really meet the needs of your organization in the tech space. Right. Uh, I, one other thing I want to mention on this is that TechSoup has some forums, which means they're, they're online chat things where you can ask questions. You can just go there and say, uh, you know, whatever technical question you have, like if you're hearing about virtualization or something and you want to know about it and you want to ask somebody a specific question, you can go on our forums and you can do that as well. That's another place to get started on this. Uh, free advice. Yeah, and that's a great way to connect with uh, with other folks uh, as well. And and another resource that I might suggest is that uh, when you go to uh, the radio links today, uh, you'll also see a link to people to people fundraising 
peachpfundraising.org. That's peachpfundraising.org. Uh, and we do uh, host a LinkedIn forum uh, for nonprofits that are interested in online fundraising and technical issues. So that could be a, a resource uh, for folks as well. Well, this is my opportunity to thank Anna Yeager and Jim Lynch uh, for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coaches. It's just been filled with wonderful information. We've added some links over uh, in the radio links today, and we encourage all of our listeners uh, today uh, to uh, check out uh, TechSoup Global's te Green Tech uh, Initiative uh, as a resource. Thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yes, we've really enjoyed it today. You Thanks bet, so you much. bet. Yeah, so as uh, we wrap up today's show, just a, a reminder uh, that we will be back with uh, uh, Tom Ahern uh, on uh, November 22nd for our next show. Uh, we are uh, off, as I said, uh, next week. And then the last week of this month, we will be up in Toronto at the uh, terrific Toronto Congress 2010. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us here on Nonprofit Coach. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.